0: This is Perspective, the show where an examination of our many differences often shows us how much we have in common. Forced from Home. It is a free interactive tour that takes you behind the headlines about the global refugee crisis. This is in our community now thanks to our friends at Doctors Without Borders. And joining us to tell us this and so much more is Dr. Jim. He is an adjunct professor of surgery at Oregon Health and Science University for the divisions of vascular surgery and trauma and critical care. He was in private practice, or has been in private practice since 81. The senior partner of Surgical Associates uh, until 2010. His eight partners were in Providence St. Vincent and Legacy Good Samaritan on the surgical resident teaching service. He is the past medical director of the Oregon Medical Board. More importantly, he has been on 15 humanitarian missions, having worked for Doctors Without Borders four times in Liberia, Nigeria, Sri Lanka, and South Sudan. Um, and then he's done some other really neat things, important things, important work that he's gonna tell us about. Dr. Peck, welcome to Perspectives. Thank you for having me, Candace. I appreciate it. So, uh, you're a rock star surgeon, that we know who has worked with Doctors Without Borders. First, tell our audience what is Doctors Without Borders, and then I want to know how you became involved with them.
1: Well, Doctors Without Borders is an international humanitarian medical organization that gives uh, medical care to people in need, no matter what their race, their religion, their political affiliation, or gender um, I became interested because I had great role models. My dad was a general practitioner in San Diego, and he, for free of charge, took care of orphanages at the San Diego Mission and in Tijuana. My aunt, uh, on my mother's side, worked with Mother Teresa. So from a very from a very young age, I was it was very clear to me that uh, I was supposed to start giving back. Uh, even Mavis would keep bugging me when I was a resident and say, when are you gonna start giving back? And I say, Mavis, I got four kids and I'm working in LA County with indigent patients. It'll be a while. So once my kids uh, had careers and children of their own, uh, then I began in 2002 working for Doctors Without Borders.
0: So what do your grandkids call you? You've got nine of them, I think Papa, I read.
1: Papa, Papa, yeah. So
0: what do they think about what Papa does with Doctors Without Borders? They're worried about borders? the
1: pirates, that the pirates might get Papa But uh, I write them, I write my family, including my wife and my kids, uh, every night, usually three uh, paragraphs just to put the day in perspective. And it's very helpful for me because the days are pretty hectic and you're not exactly sure what is making the difference. And uh, when you put it in perspective like that, it, it helps.
0: Tell me about your first of 15 humanitarian missions.
1: So I was in Liberia during Charles Taylor's Civil War Um, and it was in the city of Monrovia all of the uh, surgeons had left they had fled Uh, they had been working for the government obviously at that point the rebels were winning Uh, the town of Monrovia is a million people but there were no other uh, medical facilities and so we saw quite a bit of trauma uh, and that's what they need surgeons for about 50 percent of the missions that Doctors Without Borders are in countries of conflict or civil war. And that's why they need somebody like me.
0: And that brings us to Forced from Home. Uh, It's a free interactive exhibition on the the refugee crisis. Um, Tell me about that.
1: So it's a terrific uh, exhibition. Um, There's nine interactive uh, stations in which we teach you uh, or help inform you about what actual refugees or actually displaced persons uh, go through when they leave everything they've ever known and go from home seeking safety. You know, seeking safety is not a crime, yet they have to leave everything that they've ever known, often leaving their own family, uh, and try to seek safety somewhere else. And we try to show not only how hard it is to do that because you have to choose very little things, you've gotta leave very quickly, but all of the uh, difficulties of just traveling and then all the medical illnesses that can occur during that time, and how do you get your basic needs, like food, water, clothing, shelter, where does that all come from? And then, when you finally get to a refugee camp, which is often where I am, um, you know, it's not so great. You know, you've left something that was really awful, but now you're in a refugee camp and it's, it's hard. And as you may know, the average length of time that people are in refugee camps is 17 years. It's very very hard to become an asylum seeker and become an actual refugee. And then the thing that really bothers me because I just came back from Bangladesh is there are people that are stateless. So about 10 million people in the world do not are not citizens and the people in the Rohingya population, the Muslim population in northern Myanmar or Burma, uh, were take, their citizenship was taken away by the military junta. So when they left during the genocide and crossed the Naf River into Bangladesh, nobody has to really take care of them by international law. So it's, it, uh, organizations like Doctors Without Borders, certainly the UN, if it can help in any way, uh, tries to help these people, but it's very difficult. And uh, right now, the Bangladesh government won't allow them to work, and that's very true with many of the uh, refugees that we see. It's a really tough existence.
0: So, so what do these people do in these camps for all of these many years? So they Just kind of exist?
1: Yeah, they try to exist. Of course, they uh, if they are in a camp where the UNHCR, which is the United Nations High Commission for Refugees is, they will get food from the World Food Program, you know, uh, basic food like rice and food, uh, rice and uh, lentils and cooking oil. But of course, they start setting up their own businesses. They start setting up things so that they can get different kinds of foods. They want vegetables. They want fruits, and they uh, begin charging their cell phones because honestly, the cell phone is the best way to get from one place to another place. If you're Traveling from Syria and you want to get to uh, Germany, for instance you're going to use the GPS on your cell phone to get there, so they have to charge that, so they use sun panels is what I saw people crossing the Nef river with was was sun panels they're trying to make it a better life for their themselves, and as you might imagine, fifty percent of these refugees are children, and uh, the for instance, the Syrian uh, refugees in Lebanon, half of the kids are not getting any education. 250,000 kids are not getting any education. So you're going to lose a whole generation of kids. And, of course, their parents want to give them a better life, and it is a very difficult uh, situation.
0: This exhibit is here in Atlanta through October 28th. Where where are you guys here in town? So we're at the... Uh, Georgia World Conference. Uh, oh, so we're at the Georgia World Congress Center from the 21st until the 28th. Yeah. You know, you're, you're in, are you leading, I know that I, I read about Force From Home that uh, there are opportunities for the general public to come and walk up and take a guided tour, and volunteers like you are leading some of these tours, right? All these guys are volunteers, and all of us have different
1: experiences. you know. Not everyone in Doctors Without Borders is a doctor. There's a lot of other support staff. So there's logicians, which are the people that get in the equipment, get in all of the food that we need, and uh, help us uh, survive in the environment that we're there. There's administrators. Because of the 35,000 employees that are working for Doctors Without Borders, only 10% are international staff like myself, 90% are from the country that we're working in. We're giving them a job. We're trying to build their economy. We buy everything we can from that country in order to build their economy. And so a lot of the people that you'll see at this thing are from Africa and from other places that are working for us with Doctors Without Boards. And they have a different story than I would tell. Many times I was, you know, I'm told to go to the operating room, stay there, and don't come out until the end of the day. So. I'm often very isolated from all the other problems that are going on.
0: Yeah, but you're saving lives, Doc. You know that, don't
1: you? You know what? I can maybe do on a good day, 10 to 18 operations a day, if I'm lucky, on a good day. A nurse can vaccinate 1,000 children an hour. 1,000 children an hour. Recently, in Tanzania, they vaccinated 65,000 children in less than a week. So who's making a bigger difference? me in surgery or or the nurse taking care of all those patients. And so it's a whole team of people that are doing this. And it's and of course, the local staff, what we're trying to do is not just go fish, but to teach them how to fish, so that when we leave, they'll be able to take So when I was in Bangladesh, I always had a Bangladesh surgeon with me, because then I could teach him more about maybe the way that I do things or how I think about it. And on the other hand, I probably learn more than I teach because He teaches me about illnesses that I've never seen before. I'm in a country where, you know, typhoid is common, and so it's different uh, that way.
0: Dr. Peck, you know that uh, immigration is an issue that is very top of mind here in our country, the United States of America, and as this interview airs, uh, there are people walking from Central America through Mexico hoping to get to the United States. As people come through forced from home. Do we get any sort of a taste or a flavor of what this issue is in our country?
1: Yeah, we do. So one of the countries that we chose was Honduras. So many of these migrants that are so-called migrants that are walking uh, through Mexico are coming from uh, uh, Honduras and El Salvador. Uh, Doctors Without Borders has been in those two countries, Uh, for years and uh, have also been in the migratory route from Mexico um, since 2012. So we are assisting those people. Those people are fleeing violence, which is gang violence. So those countries are ruled by the gangs. And if they won't pay the war tax for their businesses, then they are either shot or they're many have lost family members. So they're just fleeing. And they're degree of violence is just the same as the violence that we're seeing in Syria and Yemen and Afghanistan. So they're fleeing it. They're walking. And many times, they're unaccompanied minors. There's women because their husband or their father has been killed. So, you know, we again, seeking safety is not a crime. And, and we are very sympathetic to these people trying to get out of a very bad environment and trying to make a better life for themselves.
0: What is it that you're hoping attendees will take away from their experience of going through Forced From Home?
1: I think they will hopefully understand better who these people are because what we're doing is telling you stories, personal stories. It's well beyond the statistics and the news headlines and, and the newspaper's comments. We're telling you personal stories from my point of view And from each of us that have been there and what we see and about the people we take care of. The people we take care of are amazingly resilient. They're persistent. They don't want to quit. They're going to try to make it better for themselves and for their children.
0: Atlanta has become America's next great foodie town. And if you, like me, enjoy eating and eating well and eating out, have we an opportunity to share with you today. One of the things we love to do on this show is share opportunities for you to get out and to enjoy great food for a great cause. And today, we're going to learn a little bit about a program called Cocktails and Castoffs, an event coming up in Atlanta for which tickets are still available, benefiting an organization called DIG. Yeah, DIG, that's what I said. And you're about to find out exactly what that means. Sarah Koch is the founder and director of DIG. Development in Gardening and they are the folks behind this neat event coming up. Sarah, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Okay, so Development in Gardening, that is your organization. So who are you guys? What do you do? We are an organization.
2: We work internationally, mostly within Africa, um, around the context of food for nutrition. We provide access um, where access is hard to um, come by for people who are nutritionally vulnerable. A lot of the people we work with are folks who are HIV positive, children who have been diagnosed as malnourished, um, and a whole host of other nutritional vulnerabilities, um, building gardens. And
0: now you have, it sounds like you're pulling together some of our city's great chefs for a farm-to-table event on November 11th. Tell us more.
2: Yeah, the event is called Cocktails and Castoffs, And what we were trying to do is connect this thread between what happens internationally um, with smallholder farmers who are incredibly vulnerable. Um, We work mostly in Africa, connecting that thread to us here in Atlanta. And a great way to do that is through the story of food. Um, It's something we all share in, something that we all participate in on a daily basis, no matter where you are in the world. Um, And a lot of people don't think that the food that we eat here in the U.S. has any impact to our vulnerable farmers in Africa, but it does. Um, So we focus on here in Atlanta, we're talking about food waste and how this waste that we put into landfills on a regular basis is actually contributing to a lot of challenges that are impacting our farmers. So our chefs here are innovating these amazing dishes that leave zero food waste behind to inspire us to change our actions in the kitchens and the way that we um, eat out at restaurants.
0: All right, so share with us some of the details about the event that's coming up.
2: The event is November 11th. It's going to be hosted at um, Trees Atlanta, which is over in Cabbage Town. We have 11 chefs, um, 10 10 chefs and one incredible mixologist. A lot of the chefs you will have maybe heard of before. Um, They're innovative and passionate about their craft, and they're designing these Uh, dishes to entice us to change our actions. We're also going to have a um, little preview to a 360 virtual reality film, which is super exciting that two Atlanta filmmakers are helping us create, that will talk about Digg's work with the vulnerable Batwa um, in southern Uganda.
0: Now, where did your passion for this kind of work come from? I'm thinking... You strike me as someone who likely served in the Peace Corps.
2: Oh, exactly. Did you really just think that? You're totally right. I was in the Peace Corps in Senegal, West Africa, um, from 2005 to 2007. And that time there completely changed my directory um, on where I was going to go, or trajectory on where I was going to go, Um as an individual, and I just couldn't, once I saw that this issue was there, I couldn't really turn away from it, and this work has come up from that time.
0: So what were you thinking about doing with your life before you went into the Peace Corps?
2: I was an art history major, (laughs) so a little different. Um, But yeah, this work just seemed like something that we could tackle. The gardens, the idea of addressing food security and nutrition through gardens made so much sense. It was so accessible, and it was so needed in so many places beyond just Africa, but most particularly in the context of sub-Saharan Africa.
0: And and to make sure that we understand the money that you raise through the work with DIG, you're able to go over to those communities and help and teach exactly. those people how to garden and how to feed themselves better.
2: Exactly. Um, lucky for them, I'm not the one doing the teaching. I am... Uh, My little secret is I'm not the best gardener in the world, (laughs) but um, we work with host country nationals who are well equipped with um, the agricultural knowledge, the nutritional knowledge that they need to implement these projects. Um, Most of our facilitators are people who have actually graduated from our program and are receiving the skills and the training to become facilitators and teachers of this work. So we have, for example, our work currently is in Kenya and Uganda, and in both countries we have all Kenyans and Ugandans doing the work, um, which is really important for, especially when you're considering sustainability of a program and appropriateness of the, the education that we're bringing.
0: Explain a little more about the program and the training that you do to help folks teach others how to garden well.
2: Yeah, so we um, our farmers are experiencing a, a, a range of issues. Um, climate instability um, is causing a lot of challenges around drought and um, unexpected pests and disease in their crops, um, flooding at times. And so a lot of our program is focused on climate resilience. How did these farmers, in whatever unique context that they're in, um, grow their gardens that are going to help them withstand these challenges. Our main interest is to ensure that these individuals and these families receive the nutritional um, support that they need. So, for example, we work with children who have been diagnosed as malnourished, and we'll work in partnership with a hospital. The hospital will um, prescribe them, essentially, the DIG program. So they might provide immediate food assistance to those children, and then DIG comes alongside the mothers and the families to design gardens that will address their unique nutritional needs um, so that they have a sustainable response long term. So our program is really helping them connect the dots on what organic agriculture means, what sustainable agriculture means, how it can be incorporated into the unique environmental context that those families are living in. So every one of our projects, every one of our gardens looks as unique and slightly different as every one
0: of the individuals and
2: communities that we serve.
0: Because it's a customized program.
2: It's customized to to their needs, which is why it's sustainable.
0: Talk to us about the impact that you all have been able to have doing this work.
2: Yeah, we um, are excited to see that our program is, because we're taking this time and really adapting um, adapting our interventions to their unique um, needs, we're seeing a, a pretty dramatic in- impact on their income, nutrition, food security, and climate uh, resilience. So, for example, whereas farmers before our program might have been spending $4 a week on produce for their families a year after they've graduated, so they've been having had our, and implementing our program for a year, we've found that they have reduced that expense to 40 cents a week. So from $4 a week before to 40 cents a week after, which is maybe not so much to you and I here, but that's transformative for these families over there. They're able to take that money that they're saving and invest it in girls' education or other needs that the family is um Um, experiencing. That's one example.
0: This sounds like it's pretty rewarding work for you to be able to live in Atlanta, but to have this kind of a footprint and impact, you know, on the other side of the world.
2: It's um, a real blessing. It's been a journey and uh, definitely a labor of love, um, but so, so immediately impactful and
0: transformative that it's transformed me along the way. So tell us how folks who might be interested in supporting the organization, how do they get tickets to come and sample some of these delectable dishes that you've got these celebrity yeah. chefs preparing on November 11th?
2: Yeah, so tickets are available. You can find them on our website, which is www.reaplifedig.org. Um, you'll you'll pretty much immediately see the event link there. Um Tickets are $75 for a single ticket. It comes for, with an open bar and um, all the tastings that you want that the chefs are offering. Um, we have a, a, a discounted ticket. You can buy two for $120. So we encourage people to come with a friend, come with a date. There's also a bring a car load discount. Um, so all that, you can find all of that on the website, along with all the different chefs that we're going to be working with um,
0: this year. And if someone wants to support, believes in your cause, but maybe eh, I don't want to really kind of come and go to a dinner, because you know there are people like that. It's like, can not I just help some other way? Can not I just write you a check?
2: That's always welcome. <laughs> I totally get that. I'm a bit of a a bit of an introvert myself, so I'll be I'll be present at the event, but. Um trying to overcome my introverted self. Um, Yeah, absolutely. You can just go online and make a donation. You can also send in a check and the web or the address to do that is also listed on our website.
0: Talk to me about uh, gifting gardens or a dig gift garden. I want to know a little bit more about that.
2: The gift garden is something that we do. We promote at the end of the year, um, sort of as a a tie in with the holidays. Um, It's it's immediate needs that we have in our farms um, for our families that you can give for. Um, So, for example, you can buy a pack of seeds in honor of someone that you love. It's a great way to um, give to your colleagues that maybe you're not sure what to buy for your co-workers. Um, A pack of seeds, for example, is $10. We also have the cost of a home garden for dig is around $100. So, you can sponsor a home garden, which will impact the lives of roughly five to seven people. Um, the home gardens is interesting. We found that for every hundred dollars that we invest in a in a family's home garden, they're able to earn or save roughly three hundred dollars annually because of that. So it's a great investment that you can uh, that that pays for itself, um, and you can sponsor that in in honor of someone else. And when you do that through the gift garden, which you'll find on our website as well. Um, either I will, or one of our team members will send a card noting your gift to um, the loved one of your choosing so that they'll get a nice little something to open and, and recognize that, that you supported that in their honor.
0: The event is Cocktails and castoffs. It is November 11th at Trees Atlanta. Sarah, give us that website one more time.
2: ReapLifeDig.org. That's R-E-A-P. L I F E D I G dot O R G.
0: Thanks for sharing. Thank you. Perspectives is a half hour we produce with you in mind. If there's something you think we ought to be talking about, let me hear from you. Tweet me, myandalistcondo29, on Twitter, or leave a message on our Facebook page. We do appreciate your listening and hope you'll be back next week at this same time as we examine.